on the wall Who's the biggest fool of all? You don't have to answer me Cause when I look at you I see A prisoner set free from his chains Acting like he's still a slave To the prison he's been set free from You may say it's only natural For me to act this way But I know it's only natural If you're new, we've been preaching through the book of Genesis, and uh, we left off before Christmas to do a bunch of Christmassy kind of things. Um, and uh, I tell you that because the book of Genesis is incredibly deep. So as we preach tonight, if you get confused, I encourage you to go, even if you don't get confused, even if you understand everything perfectly, go back and listen to the other sermons on the website, and they'll help you out. But, but let's... Uh, Let's pray now. That'll help you out the most. Uh, Father, um, the story that you are writing with our lives and in this world is so deep and so good. And Lord God, I look into scripture and sometimes I just begin to despair, not because it's bad, but because it's so good and I'm so small and don't know how to say everything so that people might get it, so that I might get it. And so, Lord God, we need your spirit to implant your word deep in the broken soil of our heart. 
We need your spirit because you're doing more than just touching our minds. You're transforming us into your image or revealing that you have already transformed us into our image if we would only see. So, Lord God, help us to see. Help us to know. Not a set of propositions, but you and the depths of our being. For, Lord Jesus, you are good. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Slave in the magic mirror, come from the father's space. Through wind and darkness, I summon thee. Speak. Let me see thy face. What wouldst thou know, my queen? Magic mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Famed is thy beauty, majesty. But hold, a lovely maid I see. Rags cannot hide her gentle grace. Alas, she is more fair than thee. Alas for her. Reveal her name. Lips red as the rose, hair black as ebony, skin white as snow. Snow white. Well, that's the queen. In the medieval fairy tale of Snow White. And she has this mirror that gives her knowledge. She calls it her slave, but to it, she herself is actually enslaved. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? The mirror gives her knowledge, you see, of beauty and ugliness. Actually, the words good and evil in the Hebrew can also be translated beauty and ugliness, fair and unfairness, right and wrong. The mirror gives her the power to judge herself and others. To judge means to separate. In C.S. Lewis's uh, novel, Paralandra, a man named Ransom travels to the planet Venus soon after God has made the first man and the first woman on that planet. Unfortunately, this is always a bummer, Satan has also traveled to that planet in the body of a scientist named Weston. As Satan takes over uh, Weston's body, Ransom begins to refer to him as the unman. At one point, the unman tries to tempt the innocent, naked, beautiful, green queen of Venus to disobey. And he tempts her by offering her a robe and a mirror. Lewis writes this. He handed it to the green lady. She turned it over in her hands. What is it? What am I to do with it? She said. Look in it, said the unman. How? Look, he said. Then taking it from her, he held it up to her face. She stared for quite an appreciable time without apparently making anything of it. 
Then she started back with a cry and cowered, uh, covered her face. Oh, she cried, what is it? I, I saw a face. Only your own face, beautiful one, said the unman. I know, said the lady, still averting her eyes from the mirror. My face out there looking at me. What is it? She glanced from one of them to the other. The mysteries had all vanished from her face. It was as easy to read as that of a man in a shelter when a bomb is coming. What is it, she repeated. It's called fear, said Weston's mouth. Then the creature turned its face full on ransom and grinned. That thing, she pointed at the mirror, is me and not me. But if you... Do not look, you will never know how beautiful you are, said the unman. It comes into my mind, stranger, she answered, that a fruit does not eat itself, and a man cannot be together with himself. Then Lewis writes, the external and, as it were, dramatic conception of the self was the enemy's true aim. He was making her mind a theater in which the phantom self should hold the stage he had already written the play. You see, he invites her to judge herself with herself. He invites her to judge herself. That is, he invites her to justify herself. Well, the green lady in Paralandra resists the temptation, but the evil queen in Snow White does not. She judges herself, and then she tries to justify herself. That is, make herself more beautiful by taking beauty. She has this image of herself as pure, snow white. And yet she's not so snow white, and so she attempts to take beauty from snow white. She, she commands her huntsman to kill snow white, cut her heart out. This is a kid's fairy tale. Can you believe that? Cut her heart out and bring it to her in a box, but it doesn't work. And so in a rage, the evil queen makes herself ugly in order to ambush Snow White where she's hiding in the woods. Snow White lies dead in the forest. The huntsman has brought me proof. Behold her heart. Snow White still lives. The fairest in the land is the heart of a pig you hold in your hand. The heart of a pig? Then I've been tricked. Begin thy magic spell. So looking in the mirror, asking who's most fair 
she becomes least fair with the heart of a pig. I spend an awful lot of time looking in the mirror. Not a physical mirror, which may be painfully obvious to some. Um, <laughs> but a spiritual mirror. I mean, I spend a lot of time asking, am I good enough? Am I wise enough? How do I measure up? Am I the fairest in the land? And I want to know. I, I want to know when I do that. I want to know about me. But the more I want to know about me, the uglier I get. I look in the mirror, for instance. I look in the mirror and see that lust is ugly and that I lust. So I say, don't think about naked women. Don't think about naked women, naked women, naked women, naked women. And I think about naked women. It's like sin finds opportunity in the mirror. And it comes alive and kills me. I see that anxiety is ugly. It's the opposite of faith, you know. And faith is good. I look in the mirror and see my anxiety, and you know what? It really makes me anxious. Honestly, I worry about my anxiety a lot. And that's not good. And so I worry about that. I worry about worrying about my anxiety, and then when I see that in the mirror, I worry a little bit more. I see that love is good. Love is losing me for another. I look in the mirror and see my lack of love and worry about me. And so you see, the more I worry about me being a loving person, the less I love because I'm stuck in me. The more I worry about me being selfish, the more selfish I am. The more I try to lose myself with myself, the more self I find it's like an addiction to me. I try to ease the pain of me with more me, made by me. Like an alcoholic tries to ease the pain of alcohol, alcoholism with more alcohol. So the harder I try to love, the less I do. The harder I try to make myself good, the, the more I make myself bad. The harder I try to make myself beautiful, the more ugly I become, for I am the problem. <laughs> oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? Well, not the mirror. For the more I look at this body of sin and death, the worse I become. In theological terms, the mirror increases the trespass. The mirror makes us ugly. But you, hey, Mark, that's okay. The mirror makes us ugly, but, but you know, little children aren't ugly. In fact, they're like cute to the bone. You know what I mean? Like a one-year-old, a two-year-old. 
And that's because they, that's not because they never do anything wrong. It's that they don't know that they do anything wrong. What I mean by that is that little children are not self-conscious. Richard Rohr writes this. Psychologists now say there is no such thing as an infant. There's only an infant slash mother. In the first few years, they are one, especially from the infant's point of view. Infants see themselves entirely mirrored in the parent's eyes, especially the mother's. What her eyes tell us about ourselves, we believe and become. So little children don't judge themselves. I mean, they really don't care that they're naked. If, if you've been around them, you know that. They're not self-conscious, and they're certainly not concerned with privacy, <laughs> being alone. One day, my mom was dressing my son Coleman when he was like five years old and had just recently learned about some of these things, and Coleman insisted that uh, his sisters leave the room, and my mom said, oh, come on, Coleman, and he said, but, but, but Omaha, he said, they'll see my private parts, and Elizabeth, my precocious daughter, piped up, and she said, well, Coleman, um, when you were little and we would change your diapers, we'd see your private parts all the time, and Coleman fired back, well, that's different. That was before I knew I had them. <laughs> You see, it was paradise before Adam and Eve knew they had them. Not the parts. <laughs> I'm sure they knew they had the parts. Not the privates. It was paradise before they became all self-conscious and ugly. You know, there was a point when each of my kids kind of lost that um, incredible cuteness, that beautiful innocence, or maybe they covered it up. But I think it was the point when they became self-conscious. They stopped being cute because they were very conscious of their cuteness. You know what I mean? Have you seen that in kids, if you have little kids? They stopped being so cute when they tried to be cute. You see, I think the Old Testament refers to this the time that a little child uh, obtains the knowledge of good and evil. That's the phrase the Old Testament would use. And so knowing cute, about cute, we stop being cute. The mirror makes us ugly, and the mirror is work, you know? It's a lot of work. One day when my daughter Becky was growing up and learning about these things, she said to me, hey, Daddy, I have an idea. Let's, let's, let's play a game. I said, okay, Becky. She said, okay, you be the daddy, and I'll be the little girl. And I said, okay. Thought this should be easy, and I went on about my day. <laughs> Later in the day, <laughs> driving up to the mailbox, I remember uh, Becky. She, she turned to me, and she said, Daddy, Daddy. And I said, yes, honey. Can we stop playing this game? I'm really tired of it. It took me a moment to figure out what Becky was talking about. And then all of a sudden I realized all afternoon she had been self-consciously impersonating herself. Her image of herself. 
And now she was just exhausted. And I'm glad she was exhausted because she quit. You see, I wanted her to quit because I like Becky more than Becky's impersonation of Becky. And that's what we all do, isn't it? That's what the mirror does. We become actors impersonating ourselves. But you know what? I think the Father loves us. Not our impersonation of us. He loves me. Not the phantom me that takes the stage. He loves you. Not your projection of you. On Judgment Day, many will say, uh, did we not um, cast out many demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Perhaps it wasn't them that did the works then, but their image of themselves, in which case their works were lies and they were whitewashed tombs with pigs' hearts, and that's not good. That's ugly. Deeply ugly dead. Well, in Genesis chapter 1, God makes everything good in the span of six days, and he tells the man and the woman to be fruitful. You know, fruit is babies. Even more, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. By Genesis chapter 2, we're back in day 6, because God is making, still making humanity in his image, and it's not yet good for Adam, mankind, is alone. God makes Adam, male and female, and yet humanity is still somehow alone, not complete. As we've seen, mankind is not yet finished in the image of God. The, the image of God is good. And definitely not alone. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said uh, to the woman, now the woman, Eve, you'll remember, is a picture of all of us who become the bride of Christ. Christ, who is the ultimate Adam. The serpent said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You know, this is the per first place in all of Scripture where God is spoken about objectively. As if he is an object, a thing to be comprehended rather than a person to be known. Spoken of as if he's not there. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. The serpent has raised doubt and has added to God's command. Eve has also done the same thing, so God doesn't seem good. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Be like God. Is that good? To be like God 
is good. God is making humanity in his likeness, and that's good. To know good and evil is good. In other words, wisdom is good, but why we want it and how we acquire it can be the very heart of evil. Doubting that God is good and afraid that she's not good. Eve wants knowledge of the good. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, wise, Jesus is wisdom, remember? The logos, the meaning, Jesus is wisdom. He's a person to be known, not a quality to be taken. She took of its fruit. She took wisdom, who is the heart of God, from the bosom of the Father, wanting to be like God. She tried to take his heart. She took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Somehow it worked. As we've seen, the knowledge of good and evil is the law. And the law, you see, is a mirror Eve looked into the law in order to judge herself. And Adam and Eve saw that they were ugly, for they had destroyed the beauty that they longed to possess. In other words, they had like crucified the good. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Because they're fig leaves, and because of some fascinating stuff Jesus says in the New Testament, I think the tree of knowledge was a fig tree. You know, they didn't have apples in in Palestine. So what that means is that they judge themselves with the tree, and then they cover themselves with the leaves from the same tree. They judge themselves with the law and then justify themselves with the law in the power of their flesh. Verse 9, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. More literally, it reads just like this. Listen to this. This is fascinating. And they heard the voice of the Lord. This is the voice through whom all things have just been created. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in, literally, the ruach, the wind of the day. This is the Spirit of God that blows on the waters of chaos in judgment and creation, making a way where there is no way. Wind, God, Word, the Trinity goes walking. God who is judge and whose judgment is grace goes walking in his garden. And Adam and Eve need grace. Grace is the good. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It's evening, day's almost over. The sixth day, God wants to say, it is finished. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves 
from the presence of the Lord, literally from the face of the Lord. They hid themselves from his eyes, for they're like mirrors. Judgment. They hid themselves from the face of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I think that's the law. But you see, goodness goes walking, but they hide from goodness with their knowledge of the good. They hide from wisdom with their knowledge of wisdom. They hide from judgment with their own judgment. They justify themselves. They cover themselves. They use the law to hide their naked selves under their impersonation of themselves. They hide their dying, naked, incomplete selves from the word, the breath, the way, the truth, the life which they most desperately need. In other words, they use the law to hide themselves from grace. You know, grace convicts us, it kills us, and then it fills us and it sets us free. They use law to hide from grace, who is God. In other words, Adam and Eve get religion. Human religion. You know, most people think that's what this is. Most people think that's what I am, like an extension of the tree. And so they come to church to get the knowledge of good and evil. They come to church to judge themselves and then judge others. Same preacher, preacher, in the hall, who's the fairest of them all? They want me to hold up a mirror and say something like this. Hey, the law, the, the law says that it's beautiful, it's beautiful and it's good to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's good. Love him. And so Randy, how are you doing? Are you loving him? Are you losing yourself, Dennis, and thinking only about him? Are you loving the people around you? And I could give some examples of love. And then I would say something like, well, you better work on it. You better get your act together. And so we all go home and try to love and come back the next week acting like we do love even though feeling like we don't love because we really don't. And now because God's law is really ethereal, And it's hard to know whether you're really doing good at it, you know. And we want to judge. We want to know. We often want the pastor to make the law more simple, right? More doable, more practical. So we want the pastor to say something like this. Hey, um, this is the law, to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And if you would just do these four things, well, I think that would be good enough. You ought to have a 15-minute quiet time every day. Brad, have you had a 15-minute quiet time every day? Hold up the mirror. Uh, You ought to give 10% of your income to the church budget. Chris, have you given 10% of your income to the church budget? And you shouldn't say these four potty words unless, of course, you're going camping. William, have you said those words? (laughs) And so judge yourself. Analyze yourself. 
And we all act apart. Hold up the mirror and say, uh, God wants us to be fruitful. Uh, you're called to bear fruit. Fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So how are you doing, Dee Dee, at that fruit? And so what do we do? Nobody can bear fruit just by looking in a mirror. A bride can't get pregnant by staring in a mirror. She needs something else. And so what do we do? We go home, we come back the next week, and we fake the fruit. And we hide the dirt. We hide the dirt from the seed. We fake fruit. And we create a monster. A whitewashed tomb. A walking lie. Looks alive, but look real close and it's dead. The walking dead. It's the beast. The beast from the land in the book of Revelation, human religion. Remember a few sermons ago when I said that I'd show you a video of my honeymoon night? Remember? Our very first attempt at bearing fruit in the image of God. And what I showed you was a clip from young Frankenstein. (laughs) Dr. Frankenstein and his assistant trying to uh, make life in the image of God in their laboratory. And all he could make was a monster. You see, when I try to make myself with myself in the image of God, all I produce is a monster. In Jesus' words, twice as much a child of hell, a hypocrite, a Pharisee, the walking dead. You see, the law is to show us we're dead. Not to help us fake that we're not. The law is descriptive, but not prescriptive. I mean, it tells me that I'm not good, but it does not have the power to make me good. And so when all I do is look at the law and then I try to be good, I'm trying to be good with the very thing that's gone bad, which only makes me twice as bad. In prayer and a vision some time ago, happened a few times, I think, My friend of mine was covered with filth. I washed her. She frantically tried to wipe the filth from her face, but it only made her more filthy, for her hands were filthy. And in the vision, Jesus stopped her, had her look in his eyes, and he said, when you clean yourself, you only make yourself more dirty. I must clean you. When the queen stared in the mirror, she became a monster. When I try to justify myself according to the law and the power of the flesh, I just feed the monster. I produce the beast. I think that's what Eve did and what Adam then did with her. I think that's what all human religion does, Christian or otherwise. I think that's what Israel did. That's what Jerusalem did. And so she became hideous and fruitless. Do you remember what happened when Jesus entered Jerusalem? 
The very day he entered Jerusalem, he cried out before the crowds, now is the judgment of this world. In the morning, he found a fig tree that did not bear fruit. The fig tree was barren. The knowledge of good and evil, you see, had produced no fruit. He cursed it and then prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem, the old system under the law, powered by the flesh, human, human religion. I remember when Jesus entered it, old Jerusalem, he entered the location of what was probably old Eden. And there he cursed the old fig tree. Perhaps that's why Jesus said, Judge not. God, that is a difficult phrase, isn't it? <laughs> judge not, lest you not be judged. Perhaps in some way he wants us to curse that old fig tree. In 1 Corinthians 4.3, Paul writes this. He writes, it's a small thing that I'm judged by any of you. I don't even judge myself. That's Paul. Galatians 3.11, no one will be justified before God by the law. The righteous will live by faith. Uh, Galatians 5.4, you who would be justified by law have fallen away from grace. Referring to all of his accomplishments under the law, uh, Paul writes this, I count them all as crap, scubula, garbage. I count it all as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, but that which comes through faith, the faith of Christ. Romans 3.20, by works of the law, no human being will be justified since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In fact, Paul writes, the law came in to increase the trespass. But now that doesn't mean that the law is bad. The law has a purpose. The tree in the middle of the garden has a purpose. It reveals something. It reveals someone. And so Jesus entered Jerusalem, old Eden. And before the crowds, he said, now is the judgment of this world. In the morning, he cursed that fig tree. And at the end of the week, the tree cursed him. Jesus was crucified on a tree in a garden at Jerusalem. It was a tree of law. I think it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the judgment of this world. It's God's judgment revealed on the tree of law. He said, now is the judgment. And Jesus said he came to fulfill the law, all the law. I think he fully fills the law like he fully fills that tree. 
He, he fulfills the moral law. He perfectly obeys it, and he reveals its substance, unquenchable love, the heart of God, body broken, blood shed, mercy. He fulfills the moral law and the ceremonial law. He is the sacrifice, the payment for all sin. He fulfills the law, and he is the new law that's not a law, what James calls the perfect law, the law of freedom, liberty. Listen to what James writes. James writes that the man who is unfruitful, who does not do the law, is like a man who looks in a mirror and sees his own face. But the fruitful one looks into, quote, the perfect law of liberty and perseveres. He looks into the perfect law of freedom. But what does he see when he looks into that law? Well, listen. The tree is the law. The law is a mirror. But now we look to the tree, and there's a man hanging on the tree. We look to the law, and there's a face staring back at us. We look in the mirror and see Jesus. The wicked queen had a mirror, and in it she saw herself and dreamed of herself. Did you know Snow White also had a mirror? And in it she saw herself, but she dreamed of another. Her mirror was a wishing well. I'm wishing, I'm wishing for the one I love to find me, to find me today. Today. Oh. <laughs> you see, I think Jesus wants us to look in the mirror and see him. In fact, Jesus was nailed to our mirror so that we would see him. Jesus is God's judgment on us. Jesus is God's justification for us. Paul writes, God has made him to be our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, writes Paul. You see, Paul, that old murdering Pharisee, because you know that's what he was, right? You've read the Bible. Paul, this old murdering Pharisee, he looks in the mirror, and who does he see looking back at him? Jesus. Jesus is the Father's opinion of you. On the cross, Jesus takes our death and gives us his life. Jesus turns the tree of knowledge into the tree of life. His body and blood is the fruit of that tree. So you see, the tree of law, the tree of law is what? It's a stage for the exhibition of love. God is love. And God is my Father. It's not my judgments, it's not my justifications, it's not my good deeds that tell me who I am. It's the eyes of my Father. He tells me who I am. 
His eyes are my mirror. And I see those eyes in the face of Christ, crucified for me. They tell me, Peter, you're mine. I give everything for you. I love you right now as you are, and I won't leave you as you are. I take your death, and I give you my life. And so this is my judgment. You are my image, and it is finished. Peter, it's I, God, who justifies. Who are you to condemn? Who are you to disagree with your creator? There are two mirrors. One is law and one is grace. One is our judgment, our judgment, and the other is God's judgment. One brings death and the other is life, a tree of life. One is law and the other is my father's eyes. One day when Becky was really little, she was just so stinking cute. I remember I, I looked at her and I, I just stared for a while and I said, Becky, why are you so wonderful? Her eyes beamed as they just drilled back into mine. I mean, not a moment's hesitation, not a bit of shame, not a moment's hesitation. Becky, why are you so wonderful? <laughs> because I'm your girl. Your girl. On Judgment Day, I think the Father will ask you if you come to this table. He'll ask you, why are you so good? Don't shrink back. Don't cower in fear. He wants you to beam with delight as you stare in those eyes. Because I'm your boy. I'm your girl. <laughs> well, we're pretty much out of time. And I'm kind of only halfway through. <laughs> And so we spoke of how the law kills and just began to speak of how grace gives life. How we look in the old mirror, lose ourselves, and find Jesus there staring back at us. So we'll talk more about that, I think, next week. But before we end, I need to tell you about Snow White. She saw, uh, we saw how Snow White looked in the mirror in that last clip and dreamed of her prince. And yet, when he appeared, this is what happens in the next frame. She goes, oh, and runs away and hides in shame. There's still a lot of herself in her mirror. Well, finally, the witch finds Snow White and tempts her to seize her dream, her prince. She tempts her to take her prince with the aid of a magic apple, take his love. In fear, she eats, and the day she eats, you know the story, she dies. She tries to take his love by force and dies. But when she's powerless, 
he shows up and he gives her his love by grace. After all that, he gives her a kiss. And the kiss raises her from the dead. She looks in his eyes, and his eyes become her mirror. Bride of Christ, this is your kiss, and this is your mirror. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, as often as you drink of the cup. Do it in remembrance of me. Mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Jesus. And he gives himself to you so that you will get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and see him. In Jesus' name. Believe the gospel every moment of every day. Amen. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come, let us reason together, you wicked queen. <laughs> Though your sins be like scarlet, dripping red, bloody scarlet. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. You see, that prophecy was fulfilled on a tree. And the new Jerusalem comes down. The new Eden comes down. We don't build it. It's a gift. In Jesus' name, believe it. Look in his eyes. Amen. <laughs>